Now, hope uh, can be a little misguided, right? Uh, we hope for things that we have no reason to place hope in. But Jesus isn't one of those things. So let's say that uh, your hope is that you're going to do really good in your, closing, your project, end of course project, or your exam, and you haven't worked on your end of course project, and you haven't studied for your exam. You can hope all you want, and Jesus can give you a miracle. He's able to do that, but it's unlikely. Uh, he wants to work in you and through you and work with you. But our hope in Jesus is not like that. Hope tends to be specific. So we hope for things like, yeah, I'm going to do well in this test, or I hope that this Christmas season goes well. I hope that this uh, issues between me and another person, this conflict, will get resolved. I hope my parents will get back together. I hope that I will get a job. I hope I have enough money to take care of the needs I have. We have these specific hopes. Hope is specific. And Jesus is the hope of the world, and he gets very specific in being the hope and the foundation of our life. And so today I want to look at what that hope is in Jesus and how God works that into us to work it through us. And the reason we're together for church together, not just so that we're a whole church family, but because this hope is for everyone, regardless of age or stage, of ethnicity, of language, of social it doesn't matter. Of it. I'm going to grab, where's the other mic gone? You got it. This one is faltering. In the Old Testament, they had a very different time than us. So uh, we've lived a, a, in a very different world. And some of you are newer to Canada and, and have grown up in a very different world than many of us in Canada have lived in. But none of us grew up in the ancient world, Old Testament Israel. And Old Testament Israel had a very specific hope. They wanted God to rescue them. They had this history by the time of the prophet Isaiah where God is speaking through Isaiah to the people and speaking to us. They had had this history of oppression and slavery. So they'd spent 400 years in slavery under Egypt. And once they entered into the promised land and, and started to receive some of these fulfilled promises, uh, they were attacked on all sides. And warring nations with false gods were constantly attacking God's people. And so Old Testament Israel had this very specific hope for rescue and protection. And it was based in a very specific person known as the Messiah, that's the Hebrew word, or the Christ, the Greek word, and we know him to be Jesus. And they were waiting for this Messiah, this Christ, which both of those terms mean anointed one. They were waiting for this promised one to come and rescue them because he would end all this oppression. He would raise up an Israel who's strong with military might and would cause all other nations to bow before their great God and they were looking for the right thing and had hope, you know, in the right place, but it was a little misguided. They didn't quite get it. And in Isaiah 64, we read this. Oh, that you would burst from the heaven and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence. So obviously they're thinking, man, come down from heaven. Send your anointed one. Make it known. As fire causes wood to burn and water to boil, your coming would make the nations tremble. Show your power. Make sure we never go in slavery again. 
Get rid of these warring nations. Make us prosperous. Provide for our needs. These are specific things. Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame, how great you are. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quake. So even there, we begin to see a little bit of the hope we have in Jesus. So they're basing their hope in what God had already done. So they're, they're looking for God to do a new thing through this promised one who would burst forward from heaven, come down in great might and great power, and everyone would know. And it's based on what God had done in their past, rescuing them from slavery, ending oppression. And it's interesting because though we don't have the same problem, we need the same hope. And so there are people in Israel who continue to hold on to this hope, and they would pray for God to send this one. And some of you are like that. You, you, you need some hope, and you're, you're hoping for this very specific thing for God to come through. Maybe it's a sickness, an illness, a need. Maybe something's been going on for years, and you're like, God, why aren't you fixing this? And so some people keep holding on to hope. But there's others. There's others who have lost hope altogether. And Isaiah describes them as we would describe them. Their life is dark. Do you know people like that? Maybe you're like that today. We're... we're you really see everything is dark, and you're downcast, and you see hopelessness, and you're pessimistic, and you're cynical, and you, you really don't see any answer, and you think, yeah, Jesus is reason for the season, and we have all this hope, but it's never been different any other Christmas, so why would it be different this year? And it was no different in Isaiah's time. In fact, some people um, are so hopeless, they say things like, if God were real, he would. Have you ever said that? You don't have to put your hand, but have you ever said that in your heart? If God were real, he would. Or if God really loved me, he would end this. He wouldn't allow earthquakes. He wouldn't allow cancer. He wouldn't allow parents to break up. He wouldn't allow bad things to happen, accidents, all these bad things in my life where I've been clinging to God for hope and he hasn't come through. If God were real, these things wouldn't happen. And these people are living in the darkness. Isaiah says again something like that. Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. There's a promise from God that your darkness, your despair, your trouble won't go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, okay? That's just northern Israel. So just substitute that for the people of God, the people who are following Jesus. Okay, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, people following Jesus, will be humble. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Now, Isaiah's writing this thousands of years before Jesus comes. And he says, this little place called Galilee, which is mostly non-Jewish people living there, there's going to be this light, this glory that comes from there, from Galilee. Now, if you're familiar with the biblical narrative of Jesus, you know that after he's born, eventually he grows up and begins his ministry in Galilee. And Isaiah is prophesying this. God is speaking this through Isaiah thousands of years before to the people who feel like they're in darkness. And he's saying, hold on to hope. It's okay. There's something coming. We don't, we can look back and see it's Jesus. They didn't know. And in our darkness and in our hopelessness, it's something similar. He goes on to say, verse 2, the people who walk in darkness, there's that term again, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. 
For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. What a great hope. You will enlarge the nation of Israel. So these people are saying, you know, they're thinking borders and nations and kings and armies and money and food and all this type of stuff. But God is thinking that he's going to graft and he's going to bring in even Gentiles, non-Jews. The people of Israel, the people of God through this Messiah, all people of all nations will have opportunity to find hope in him. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Now, last week I talked about Gideon, and he was the one through whom God saved the Israelites from the Midianites. And so Isaiah's quoting this and saying, like you did with Gideon, bring another who would be even greater and rescue us from even greater things. The boots of the warrior and the uniform of the bloodstained by war will all be burned. This is really important. They will be fuel for the fire. So this, this one who's coming, that they're expecting to come in military might and be this great king and raise up this great nation for all time, God of the world, power, human power, would come not with military might, but would come with peace. Now, whether you know it or not, we sang the next verses. The next verses that follow us, we sang this this morning, we read this every Christmas. But this is the backdrop for the hope of the Israelites who are looking for this Messiah to come. And they're in this darkness and they're looking for this king to come and do these great things and be this military might and just end all bad stuff in their life through politics and military things. How much hopelessness is there in that? Placing our hope in that. And then we come to the verses that many of us will know and we sang this morning. For who's this person? A child is born to us. A son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be better than any government. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace. So the way he rules and reigns, well, it's different. And it will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Wouldn't that be great for any political party and leader in the world for all time to rule with fairness and justice? The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Hope has already been found in Jesus' arrival. That promised son, that one who would come establishing a different kingdom, not through military might, not through big displays of power, but through his justice and righteousness and mercy, he's already come. And we know this hope. And just like Isaiah said in that first passage, hey, we've seen God work way back here so we can trust him to do this thing again. Well, that's where we are. And they were in a season of waiting. They were in a season of waiting. They were waiting for this Messiah to come. And we're waiting not for the Messiah to come, but to return. And our hope is based on all of those prophecies we read, hundreds more that Jesus has already fulfilled in his arrival, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and his ascension. And he's fulfilled a lot of what was promised. And the only things left to fulfill are the things he couldn't fulfill because it's not yet time. And we are in a season of waiting. But unlike those in the Old Testament who tended to be in darkness and weren't really sure of this hope, we can experience a sure hope in Jesus. And when we push our, put our faith in Jesus, he fills our life with hope. He gives us hope that he is 
in it. He may not fix everything. That's not our hope. Our hope is not that he will fix everything right now. Our hope is that one day he will return and set all things right, make all things new. No death, sadness, sorrow, any of that. And in the meantime, while we wait, he will never leave us or forsake us. He is with us. He is Emmanuel. He's God with us, and he walks with us through it all. And so our hope is in that. And by the time we fast forward to the New Testament, after Jesus' arrival, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, Paul is writing a young leader he's trained up named Titus. And he says this, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. That's the hope. Salvation is for all people, regardless of age, stage, social status, race, gender, all of this. It's for all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living. So those who are in Christ, those who have chosen to follow Jesus, that hope causes us to live different. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with three ways. Wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. This hope causes us to be different, but there's a purpose to it. Sometimes at Christmas we talk about hope and all we talk about is ourselves. And primarily right now, I've just been talking about us, the hope we experience. Maybe the we is me, maybe the we is my family, maybe the we is us as a church family, maybe the we is the church in general. But this hope and the way we live is not just for me, it's not just for we. For we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. The same glory prophesied to come from Galilee of the Gentiles. We have that hope, but we're looking forward to the hope when that will be fulfilled and Jesus comes again and he finishes his work. And then verse 14 says, He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to good Deeds. Totally committed to good deeds. There is a relation between how we live with wisdom and with devotion to God and with righteousness. There's a, there's a connection between how we live with hope and our deeds, our good deeds. Anybody familiar with the Vinyl Cafe? Anybody know what the Vinyl Cafe is? So the Vinyl Cafe is a story series by a Canadian story um, speaker. I don't know what to call him. Storyteller. Uh, Stuart McLean, and uh, he tells this fictional story of this guy named Dave, and he runs this vinyl cafe record store, and it follows him and his friends and his family, and great stuff, and, and there was a Christmas story that came out this year uh, called Christmas at the Store, and I could tell you the whole story because I'm not as good a storyteller as him, not even close, so I encourage you to listen to it, but there's one piece I do want to share with you today that really helps us understand what this hope we experience is meant for, and what God can do through it. So this particular Christmas, Dave hires his daughter, Stephanie, to work at the record store while she's on Christmas break. Now, Dave and Stephanie, they couldn't be further apart. Dave is a free-spirited, free-minded, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of guy. His record store isn't organized, but it's, it flows, and people love to come in and hang out, and he doesn't really care about the bottom line or the business. And his daughter, Stephanie, is more of a type A personality. She's a little more organized. 
and they don't always see eye to eye. And so when Stephanie starts working at the store, she begins to organize things. And guess what? Sales begin to go up. And by Christmas Eve, the store is hopping. And come closing time, Dave's ready to close up, and Stephanie says, I think we should stay open for a little while because there's lots of people and we can make more sales. And Dave gently says, no. And as, as the customers start to drift out and there's still a few on the street, he closes the door, locks it, turns the sign to closed, and goes and gets a stack of records behind the front counter. He gives Stephanie five and he takes five and he says, just spread these out around the store. And as she's putting them in alphabetical order, he says, no, no. Hide them. Put them wherever. And while she's doing that, they're going through this debate on whether they should open the door because customer after customer, late Christmas Eve buyer is knocking on the door hoping to come in. And she wants to let them in. And he's just trying to stay relaxed. So finally she asks, what are we doing anyway? And he says, one of my first customers, kind of a socially awkward guy, he's not so good with people, we have this agreement. He doesn't like to come in the store when there's people around. So every Christmas Eve, I put out 10 records I've saved and picked exclusively for his personal taste throughout the year. And I hide them throughout the store. And after all the customers are gone and after the store is closed, he comes and I let him in. And he goes on a bit of a Christmas Eve scavenger hunt and finds them and buys them. Dave explains that he's not sure, but he doesn't think this guy really has any family or friends. And he thinks it's kind of a nice thing to do as one of his first customers. And Stephanie puts it together in her mind that this is the reason her dad has been late for Christmas Eve since she was a little girl, and that was enough. And she storms out of the store, and just as he's chasing after her, there's a knock at the door, and it's the guy. And so Dave's torn. What do I do? And he lets Stephanie leave and he opens the door and the customer comes in and he goes through the whole store at lightning speed and he goes through and he finds all 10 records and he comes up to the counter and the till and he pays for the 10 records without a single word. Leaves. Dave closes up shop and eventually he finds Stephanie and they make amends. And, and then the way Stuart McLean closes the story is as if it's a movie and we're at the final credits. And you're seeing the camera over top of Dave and Stephanie as they're walking home in the falling snow. And the camera continues to move through town. And it eventually centers on a window on an apartment building way up and way across town. And as it comes into focus, you notice it's, it's that guy. It's that guy from the record store. He's taking out one of the records and putting it on the turntable. And as he does, he puts his arms out and he begins to twirl around like a Christmas angel about to take flight. And Stuart McLean simply says, and that's the glory, hallelujah, of it all. If we can, in our hearts, understand how an act of kindness in a make-believe story can bring hope to a fictional character, how much more can God work through us as we live with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God and back that up with our good deeds before a world that walks in darkness. Because when we do a good, good deed, it's like planting a small seed. God waters it, he tends it, and we have no idea what other pieces he's going to put in someone's life to bring that 
to fruition, to grow that into something of substance in their life, a hope that's meaningful and a hope that is going to point back to him. You may, through your good deed, not even mention Jesus, but because of the way you're living and because you're different, it may cause that person who may be walking in darkness, downcast, hopeless, to consider the truth of Jesus for the first time. So I want to encourage you to share hope in one of three ways today. One of three ways. I'll give you some ideas. I want you to pick a tangible way to share hope with others this Advent Christmas season. The first of all, first of all, is write. You can write something. Write a card. Write a note. Write a letter. Write an email. Write a Facebook messenger post. Write a text message. Write something physically or digitally that puts your thoughts on paper. Put your thoughts on a device. You write something. You take the time to tell someone you care with a card or an email or something. Our kids are doing that this morning. They beat us. Do you know Jesus? He often would bring kids and say, hey, look, you want to understand how to follow me? Just do what they do. And that's what we're doing this morning. All of us are watching. Our kids have probably a greater idea of hope in Jesus than we might as adults, teens, and young adults. And they've already begun doing something that they can share with another to be a seed of hope. Secondly, give. Give something. Give a meal. Give a gift. Give some money. Give something to someone in need. Make it personal. Make the, what you write personal. Make what you give personal. Not just a hey, I was at Canadian Tire and there's this like fun thing and I gave $5 to her. That's good. That's great. But what I'm encouraging you to do is make it personal. Pray it through. Pick someone and a specific need that matches that. We had that happen. One of our first Christmases, uh, the very first Christmas as parents, when Alyssa, our oldest, was born, she was born a couple months premature and she spent a month in hospital leading up to... Uh, leading throughout the Christmas season. She was born in late November. And so she spent a month in hospital, an hour and a half drive away. And as young parents just getting started out, we didn't have a lot of money, and we were spending a ton on parking and driving and food and all this. And our church family would give us, sometimes anonymous, sometimes not, cards and money, just enough so that we can make it through. And that, that meant the world. People may not have known how much that meant to us at that time of our life, but that meant the world. So write something. Give something. Do something. Do something. I don't know. Spend time. Go for coffee. Fix something. Be around someone. Do something with your hands. Knit something. Make some, I don't know. Do something <laughs> that can make a positive impact. Not everything we give, not everything we do has to cost money. So do something. Write something, give something, do something. Our kids have already done that because here's the reality. When you share a seed of hope in Jesus, you can do that through deeds. So when you do deeds of hope, it's sharing a seed. So share a seed of hope in Jesus through, uh, I'll just put in brackets, good deed, through a good deed of hope because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done in you, pick someone, something, and do something, anything, something personal. Because you have no idea. Kids, 
teens, young adults, adults, you have no idea what your card, what you do, what you give, what you write, will do. You don't know where that will lead or what that will do in someone's life. And so we're going to close by doing something that some people here love and other people hate, okay? All right, and it's going to be really quick, so not to freak out. We're going to get in groups about 10. We're going to move chairs around. Thankfully, we don't have fixed seat auditorium and at home. Do this in your living room or with whoever you're uh, watching with. And we're just going to pray that God would bless what we write, give, or do as a seed that he would water. One person can pray, two people can pray, three people, everybody can pray. We're just going to take a few minutes. So if you're not comfortable praying around others, that's okay. We want to teach you to do that because that's a really good thing to do. So gather up in about groups of 10, and we're going to close that time. I'll close that time off with prayer, and then we'll sing a final carol. Get in groups of 10. Somebody pray. It's messy. It is the way it is. Pray over what we'll do that it would be planted and fruitful.